Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 171 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at motorway service areas and charging. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to thank Rob Pryor, who donates regularly to the EV Musings coffee.com account, ko-fi.com. It's an alternate way to support my work, and I thank you for doing so. Our main topic of discussion today is motorway service areas and public charging there. It might be a little controversial, and there's some calculations later on that you can and should take exception to, but I think it's a conversation we need to have anyway. Uh, Before I go into too much detail, let me set the scene and step back for a moment to review what's happened so far in 2023 and the back end of 2022. We've seen a slew of anti-EV articles that have come out, all discussing the woeful state of the charging infrastructure and how many people are having issues with the hardware or queuing for a long time, etc., etc. But if you look into the articles in a bit more depth, you'll find that the majority of the problems happen in two specific locations. First, motorway service areas. And second, remote locations with individual or isolated chargers. Take the big Tesla Q issue that occurred at T-Bay around Christmas time. The fact is that T-Bay is a common service station, i.e. it has one service area that's accessible from both the north and south side of the motorway, unlike, say, Watford Gap or Leicester Forest East, which have separate service areas for northbound and southbound. T-Bay has a Tesla supercharger which has four units. These are also the older, slower units. And the day these queues occurred also coincided with a general train strike and lots of students needing to get back from university for Christmas. So in the perfect storm of circumstances, we had old, slow chargers with a limited footprint and a few units servicing both northbound and southbound of a busy motorway during peak time when traffic was particularly high due to external circumstances. Of course, you're going to get queues, but that's not an isolated instant. Cast your mind back to stories of the grid serve charges at Rugby that had issues late last year. Four of the 12 out of commission, five or six cars waiting, angry people. I actually contacted GridServe about this to ask what was happening. The reply I got from their senior management was less than satisfactory and could under certain circumstances be mistaken for heavy sarcasm. But again, these were specific circumstances. The other issue we get is someone travelling to some remote areas such as the north of Scotland, Devon and Cornwall or, oh, I don't know, Yorkshire. They go for a single unit in a grocery store car park and it doesn't work. There's no second unit, so they end up trying to find another nearby charger. Same thing, repeat until the battery is, tra- is drained. And yes, there is an element of personal experience in there, apart from the drained battery. Now, obviously, the solution to both of those issues is conceptually simple, but practically difficult. More, faster, reliable chargers. Today, I want to look at this motorway service area issue that we talked about and discuss the elephant in the room that perhaps isn't being talked about as openly as it should be. 
we're never going to have enough chargers on the motorways. Strong words, but let me elaborate. Moto, one of the UK's largest motorway service operators, plans to install just over 1,600 ultra-rapid EV chargers by the end of the decade. Recent installs at places such as Reading and Swansea brings to 211 the total number of ultra-rapid chargers owned by Moto. But is this enough? To look at this in more detail, I want to take a moment here to have a quick look at something which is very near and dear to me, the M1 motorway. The M1 is one of the major transit routes through the UK. It's one of the oldest motorways in the country and, other than the M25 around London, it has the most traffic of any major road in the country, with approximately 200,000 vehicles using it, on average, per day. It's also the long-distance route I tend to use most as it takes me towards my parents. So let's look at the charging offerings for anyone travelling on that route. Bear in mind, it starts in Brent Cross, North London, and ends outside Leeds, where it merges to become part of the A1, heading north. Obviously, the main charge point operator en route is GridServe, who are present at most of the motorway service areas along the route. There are 12 MSAs immediately on the M1, starting at London Gateway near the bottom, and ending with Leeds Skelton Lake at the top. GridServe only operate in 10 of these 12 stops at the time of writing, and have a total of 33 charges across both directions, northbound and southbound. Only one location currently has more than two units, and that's Woolly Edge, with six new ones and one of the old 50 kilowatt ones. Four of the locations have just one unit north or southbound. In total, that's 21 units across 192 miles of range northbound and 21 units across 192 miles of range southbound for a road that carries an average of 200,000 cars per day. At the current rate of EV take-up, assume 1.5% of all vehicles on the, UK, on the UK roads are electric, that's an average of 3,000 electric vehicles per day on that route. That's 111 vehicles per grid serve charger if they were evenly spread out across our locations. That's a little under five cars per charger per hour. Doable? Possibly. Except it's not, because as I say, there are only 10 grid serve stops and only one location has more than two units, Woolly Edge. So we basically have 300 cars averaged across each motorway service area, and most of them are battling for space on either one or two units per location. That's up to 150 cars needing charging per unit per day if we exclude Woolly Edge. That's around seven cars per hour every single hour of the day, assuming all the charges work. But I checked ZapMap recently for reports of issues. For the northbound services alone, five locations were showing errors in either one or both of the units, and there was no information on Woolly Edge at the time I looked. Now, I'll remind you also that the grid serve units at most locations on the network, especially the ones replacing the old Ecotricity units, are limited to 60 kilowatts maximum charge speed for contractual reasons. They've opened a large number of them up to dual charging recently, which means that the 60 kilowatts is split between two cables, giving a maximum of 30 kilowatts each. You can see why GridServe motorway service area charging along the M1 isn't good. So let's take a look at some of the other charge point operators who provide charging on or close to the M1. And by close, I mean within a mile or so of any given junction. 
Ionity have 10 units in total at two locations, four at Milton Keynes Coachway and six at Skelton Lakes motorway service areas. And for reference, those two locations are 143 miles apart along the motorway. Osprey Charging have 11 units in several locations with four two-unit installs and three single-unit installs. Instavolt have 16 units in eight locations with double units at each one. And BP Pulse have 29 charges, but they're all single units apart from the coachway at Milton Keynes. Also, as we know, reliability hasn't always been great with BP Pulse. When I checked recently, of the 22 locations, only six were showing on ZapMap as not having had issues within the previous two weeks as per user feedback, which is not good. Of the other major charge point operators, Fastned have zero, MFG have zero, Tesla have none that are open to the general public, and only 20 charges at motorway service areas, which are Tesla only. Two locations, plus another 24 at four locations just off motorway, and Shell have none. I did count three other units from the likes of Genie Point and Pod Point that were within a short drive from the nearest junction, though, and all of these had shown some issues of some sort recently. Of course, if you're willing to go a little bit further from the motorway junctions, there are more units. Instavolt have a four-unit site at Baton near Sheffield, but it's a good two to two and a half miles from the nearest junction. With the return journey, that's adding five extra miles onto your journey and, best case, another five or six minutes onto your time over and above the charge. If we add all that up, we get a grand total of 101 non-Tesla rapid charging units on or within a mile or so of the 193 miles of the M1 motorway and 44 Tesla-only charges. Does that sound a lot? Well, for context, if I go to Banbury on the M40, there are currently 50 rapid chargers within one mile of a single junction, Junction 11, that are open to the public. 32 Instavolt, 6 Osprey charging, and 12 Tesla. That's half as many chargers within one mile of a given point of the M40 as the whole of the M1 has along its 193-mile length. Now, as far as I know, the only new hub that's scheduled to go anywhere near the M1 is an electric forecourt at Markham Vale near Chesterfield that Gridserve recently gained planning permission for. Now, I dropped in there over the Christmas period and groundwork had still not started at that location, so it's probably 8 to 12 months away at the earliest. According to website Voltonomics and friend of the podcast Maz Shah, who keep a track of charging hubs either proposed, being built, or live, there are two other existing locations that will get upgraded to charging hubs on the M1, and they're both Gridsurf sites. One will be Watford Gap North and Southbound with anything up to 12 units, and Northampton North and Southbound also with anything up to 12 units. Obviously, that's all to be welcomed, but it's not enough. We've all heard of queues at charges at peak times, and sometimes not at peak times, on the motorways. There's a reason for this. Consider the two factors which are at play here. For most people travelling outside the range of their car, a portion of that journey is probably going to be done on a motorway. EV advocates such as myself preach the fact that when you stop at a motorway service area, you can plug in, grab a coffee, have a pee, walk the dog, grab a sandwich, etc., etc., and be on your way. What's assumed in the second statement is that there are sufficient charges available to allow you to plug in and go. If we look at somewhere like Junction 11 on the M40, 
Banbury, that's the case. But in just about every other instance, that's not the case, even with those places with 8 or 12 units. And here's why. With the current situation using fossil fuel cars, a large majority of people stopping at motorway service areas do this for comfort reasons rather than refueling reasons. I mean, the excessive rates charged by fossil fuel companies at motorway service areas pretty much mandate that most people won't refill there unless absolutely necessary. In 30 years driving a fossil fuel car, I can count the number of times I've filled at an MSA pretty much on one hand. But with EVs, a large majority of drivers stopping there will be doing so on the expectation that they can get a charge. In four years driving an EV, I've charged more often at a motorway service area than I ever did when I filled my internal combustion engine car with petrol. Let's put some figures to this. Now, I'm going to focus on the M1 motorway again. Remember, it's the busiest road in the UK, outside the M25, and for its 197 miles, it has 12 motorway service areas. It averages 200,000 cars per day. If we have 200,000 petrol cars on the M1, passing 12 motorway service areas in either direction, that means there's capacity for a little over 9,000 cars per MSA per day, averaged out. But let's assume that only 10% of these stops require fuel at the petrol station. This means that the petrol pumps need to accommodate around 900 to 1,000 cars per day. With 10 pumps per site, that's 100 per pump per day. At 5 minutes per pump, that's relatively easy. 12 an hour, 9 hours, done. Now do the same with electric cars. I ran a couple of admittedly unscientific polls on social media, which basically asked the simple question. If I stationed an impartial observer at every motorway service area and asked them to record two pieces of data, number of electric vehicles using the MSA and number of electric vehicles charging at the MSA, what would that proportion be? The results indicated the following. Nobody really knows what the correct ratio is. My results were pretty evenly split amongst all four quartiles, 0 to 25%, 26 to 50, 51 to 75, 76 to 100. Now that's not very helpful, but it does highlight an issue that the CPOs are going to need to deal with. They don't know what they don't know, and they'll need to know what the correct figures are for MSAs in terms of required charges, which means we're going to have to make some assumptions or statements about the numbers. So 200,000 electric cars per day, 12 motorway service areas in total giving capacity for 16,700 cars per motorway service area. If we go for the low number and assume 25% of them need a charge, that's 4,100 cars. Let's also assume an average charge time of 15 minutes, i.e. four per hour, which is probably a little low, but if we're projecting forward to the time when everything's electric, we'll probably go for it for now. So to charge 4,100 cars per day, assuming they're all distributed evenly across 24 hours, which they won't be, there need to be enough charges to handle 173 cars per hour. At four cars per charger per hour, each MSA will need 43 fully functioning chargers working 24-7. If we assume a normal bell curve of usage, low in the middle of the night, high in the middle of the day, we can assume that at peak times there will be something in the region of 250 cars per hour, but in the middle of the night there might only be five. I mean, these are rough figures. Mathematicians can correct me if I'm wrong. Which means that to accommodate the peak, we will need to be able to handle over 250 cars 
per hour at four cars per charger per hour, which will need 60 chargers. Let's assume they're all really high power chargers. They're all switched to, to dual charge enabled and they're operating at their full capacity and they're all working, which means we could do this with 30 chargers per site. But that's a lot of ifs. And it's an issue that I don't think is being discussed by charge point operators. Now, you can go back through my figures and take exception to some of the calculations. That's fine. In fact, I'd like you to do that because it would set my mind at rest a little. But you can't get away from the fact that the way fossil fuel cars use the motorway service area now will not be the same as how electric vehicles use the MSAs in future. At the moment, fossil fuel car drivers use the motorway service areas to go to the toilet, grab a drink, walk the dog, stretch their legs, let the kids play, etc. EV drivers will do all that, but they'll also want to charge their car. Will all EV drivers want to charge their EV at an MSA every time they stop? Probably not. If you've got a longer range car, chances are you'll be able to make a stop without needing to charge. I've certainly done that myself on more than one occasion. But with people wanting cheaper EVs, the trade-off is usually a shorter range car. This means that charger anxiety becomes a thing. With charger anxiety, we risk having people charge every time they stop, which is fine, but that means we need more chargers. And unfortunately, we can't get stuck with the solutions that should be in place, which is AC chargers, because motorway services are not set up for that sort of charging. Not least because even if they were to stay for two or three hours at a motorway services, assuming a 22 kilowatt AC charge with a car able to take that level of charge, the parking charges would start to kick in and people would want to do that. So we stuck with DC charging, rapid or ultra rapid at that, with lots of units and the need to have a high availability rate. Now let's also remember that this is a conservative estimate. I'm assuming that the traffic figures are averages across the year. Imagine what it's going to be like over spring bank holiday, Easter or Christmas and New Year when traffic levels are much higher than they are on average days. There are days when you're going to get queues at charges. And in principle, I'm not against that. After all, you get queues at petrol pumps at peak times. The issue is how long will those queues be? If it's say 10 minutes or a quarter an hour, that, that's inconvenient, but it's not a disaster. If it's an hour or longer, then it does become an issue. So how do we solve this? Well, the first thing we need to do, obviously, is to get more charges in at motorway services. In principle, it's easy to do. GridServe alone have installed 200 new chargers across the Moto range of motorway service areas in the last year or so. They've opened up five brand new hubs since the start of the year at motorway services across the length and breadth of the country. But the maximum number of units at any hub they've installed is 12, and the average is around seven. When I chatted with the charge point operators back in episodes 139 and 140, I asked them all about their approach to motorway service charging. Genie Point didn't want to play in that particular sandbox, but Osprey Charging, Podpoint and Fastnet all said they'd want exclusivity at the location. From a business point of view, I can understand that completely. I mean, it's how the fossil fuel companies work at motorway services already. Each one's either a shell site or a BP site, etc. Why would charging be any different? Well, I would maintain that the scale of the issue should come into it. I believe we're looking at cabling up motorway services to support 30 plus units per location minimum. Sure, one supplier could do this, but I could also see instances where there is 
a grid surf section, an Osprey charging section, and a Fastnet section in each motorway services. They can play off each other from a pricing point of view, which is good for the consumer. And if we've got the worst case scenario where one charge point operator network goes offline, we've got the situation where there are alternatives at that location rather than taking all the units down at once. So what do you think? It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Tesla has recently revealed their V4 superchargers and they're quite snazzy. Unlike the previous three incarnations, which have kept the same exterior appearance and modified the interior, the V4 units are a complete refresh. Instead of having the hole in the middle look that defined the earlier models, the V4 unit is solid, almost completely white, and quite slim with the Tesla name emblazoned in red across the front. What differentiates it more from the older version, however, is the inclusion of a longer charging cable, allowing vehicles other than Tesla to charge without blocking multiple stalls. A sure sign that Tesla's trying to make it easier for non-Tesla vehicles to use them. The first working versions have been rolled out in Hardewerk in Belgium, and I'm attaching a video in the show notes from Felix Hamer, who visited there to test them out. The spec attached to these units indicates a rated voltage of 1000 volts and a rated current of 615 amps, giving a theoretical maximum power draw of 600 kilowatts. No car at the moment can take that, but it does indicate the way Tesla are thinking. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by Zapmap, the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK which helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. ko-fi.com slash evmusings. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want something to read on your Kindle. So, you've gone electric is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, You've Gone Renewable is also available on Amazon for the same 99p, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingCV with the words 12 sites over 197 miles. Hashtag, if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder Simon. Note, he has opinions and hot takes on all sorts of topics, most of which I like. But I think his stance on allowing priests to marry even if they don't love each other is one I take exception to. Strong words, but let me elaborate. Thanks for listening. Bye.